And as we look in the word, as you look at, say, Psalm 19, you'll hear the psalmist say that the word of the Lord is more precious than gold, than much fine gold. And then Psalm 119, we've been going through Psalm 119 for all these weeks. Uh, verse 72 and verse 127, it tells us that God, the, wall, the law of God's mouth is more precious than thousands of silver and gold pieces. He says, I love your commands more than gold, more than pure gold. I like to reflect on Matthew 13 where it says that, that a man went looking for fine pearls. And one day he was looking for those fine pearls and he found something more than fine. He found something of great value. And when we look at God's words, we have many words. There are many books. I, you know, I don't know how many, how many books do you. I get Logos tries to sell me a new book every single day, maybe five or six. And then there's all these books with all these great words. We can, we can think of books that we have enjoyed that have been written. There are great words all around. But this word is a word of greatest value. This word comes from an infinite author, an infinite resource, and this is the best word that we can have. Well, why is the word of God so valuable? Well, because no matter how wonderful Psalm 19 tells us that the, the heavens are declaring the glory of God, we, no matter how wonderful general revelation is, no matter how wonderful we read that as we look at all of creation, we see God's divinity and we see God's power because of all the things that he's made, these things do not bring us the knowledge of God and of his will, which is necessary unto salvation. Now, those are words right out of the Westminster Confession. Those are wonderful words. This knowledge here in this word, it brings us this knowledge of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Apart from this word, we cannot know God. Apart from this word, we cannot know and have eternal life with God. We need this word. The prophet's presence and the grace of God is what we see here in this passage. And last week as we looked at Shiloh, we looked at what's going on in Israel, it's a dark time. And there was a man, a man of God came on the scene. Remember, he came out of nowhere. We don't know where he went. We don't even know his name. But he came and he spoke the word of God. And he told Eli, he told Eli that his family, his sons, and his family line would be undone and judged and removed from their place of service. And we see um, we're kind of waiting around. And a lot of people, one of the things as I studied this, they're like, well, who's going to be this new prophet? I mean, priest is coming along. Well, it's not going to be Samuel. <laughs> it's not going to be Samuel. What's God going to do with Samuel? Uh, we know that the priest that comes along in the end and replaces Eli and his descendants is going to be Zadok and it's going to be during the time of King Solomon what's God going to do with Samuel well don't worry don't worry God has plans for Samuel Samuel will be not replacing Eli the priest but he will become the great prophet of his generation now priests back in the Old Testament they didn't receive a divine call to become a priest they were after the the exodus they received the line of the tribe of uh, the line the tribe of Levi, Aaron, and all his descendants would become priests. And if you were born in their tribe, you would become a priest. But if you're going to be a prophet, you had to be individually called by God. And if we if you remember as we read this, we won't refer to this to talk about this maybe next week. But how many times does the word call appear from verses four to ten? 
as we look at this call of Samuel uh, by God 11 times from verses 4 to 10. 11 times we see that God is calling Samuel to be in this office of priest. Verse 1 says, Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord before Eli, and the word from the Lord was rare in those days. Visions were infrequent. Now during these days, they need someone to speak the word of God because there's so little spoken. In these days, God communicates through a prophet. And one of the wonderful things about this, if you go read all, you go read the prophets, you'll see that the prophets would receive a vision or a dream. And they would see what they were supposed to say. But how can you share what you see without words? And God would give the prophet words to share what he saw to the people. And so every word that the prophet would share with the people would come to them from God with undiminished authority. But there's just one problem. As we said, there's very few words in these days. That's a judgment of God on these people. There's very few visions. They're infrequent. There's very few prophets. Judges 6 talks about a prophet. In 1 Samuel 2.27, we talked about last week, there is a prophet, but men are not being called to be prophets in these days. And this lack of God's word is a sign of his judgment. We can talk about rare, and when we say rare, we talk about something that's precious. We talk about rare, we talk about something that's weighty and costly. But we can also talk about rare as something that's just not very much of it around. And that's a bad thing. It's a bad thing for the word of God to be rare. It's a very bad thing. It's a sign of judgment. Why do they need the word of God? Well, I've told you, but let me read what it says here in Proverbs 29, 18. Where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint. But blessed is he who keeps the law. Where there's no revelation, people are perishing. And that's what, wow, we see that today. Maybe we'll be talking about that in the podcast and in the meeting on this next week. When the word of the Lord is not received, when there's no special revelation, people cast off restraint. We talked about that in our Bible study. When you take the word of God out of every and any place, what do we do? Oh, wow, we have to make these laws up for ourselves. We have to become big boys and do things we can't do because we're not God. Where there's no revelation, people are perishing and they're under the wrath and the curse of God. But when the word of God is present and when it's read and when it's studied and when it's preached, there's faith in Jesus Christ and there's restraint and there's living according to God's laws and there's walking in holy paths. But if the word of God is rare, there's only judgment. Why was the Lord's word so rare during these days? Well, because God's people are under the wrath and the curse of for their sins. I want you to think about their sins. What kind of sins are going on? We got the sins of the priest. We got Hophni and Phinehas. Remember, they're intimidating the people of God and they're immoral in front of the very entrance of the house of God. We know about their sins and Eli, remember what he did. I I, I keep telling you, I'll say this, every time I think about Eli, I just kind of, I have this little warm spot. I want to be so tender about him. But you know what? He put his sons ahead of God should have gotten them out of those out of the house of God but he didn't do it and because of that he will be judged along with his sons and so we have sin among the priests but we also have sin among the people remember this is this is what's going on during this time in 1 Samuel the pattern 
of, of sin that's going on in the book of Judges. Now, maybe some of you need to be reminded. Toby doesn't, and neither does Mark. I'm going to remind Dwight here, okay? So here we are thinking about what's going on at this time, and the people are under the uh, hand of the Philistines, okay? So the Philistines are putting pressure on Israel during this time because they're serving the foreign gods among the Canaanite peoples. And this is the pattern of judges. When God's people during the time of the judges, they were supposed to worship God and God alone. But when they worshiped other gods, God would raise up a nation and they would oppress the people. And the people would be under this oppression for worshiping this, having this idolatry in their lives. And the God would raise up this nation to oppress his people until finally they would say, Uncle, and cry out to God for mercy. And God would raise up a judge, a deliverer, a Jephthah, a Ehud, a Samson, or one of these sort of guys, raise them up and deliver them out of the hands of this nation that's oppressing them. And then they would have peace for like 20 years, sometimes 40 years. They would have peace. And then the people would fall back into this pattern and they would start worshiping these other idols and other gods and God would raise up a nation. And that's what's going on here. The people are in a, in a dark time because God is judging them for worshiping idols, the idols of other nations. And so the people are feeling the wrath of God and there's very little word spoken. Many other passages talk about the fact that there are such, there's such a thing as a famine of the word of God. That is what's going on. There's a famine of the word of God. And I won't have you turn there, but let me just read some passages to you and, and, and listen carefully. We have Amos in Amos chapter 8, verses 11 and 12. He's a herdsman. He's a dresser of sycamore trees. He's called to be a prophet to denounce the northern kingdom uh, of the judgment on, uh, denounce them and, and pronounce judgment on Israel. And this is what he says. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land. Not a famine for bread. Not a famine for a thirst for water. But rather for hearing the words of the Lord. People will stagger from sea to sea and from the north even to the east. They will go to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. That's, one, that's a terrible famine. It's a terrible famine when the word of God is not being heard. And these folks, he's saying, is there's coming a day where the word of God, you're going to look for it, you're going to seek for it, and you're not going to hear it. This is a terrible thing. The absence of God's word is God's judgment against sin. In Psalm 74, 1 through 9, the psalmist is talking about Solomon's temple being destroyed by the Babylonians. And listen to what he says here. O oh God, why have you rejected us forever? Why does your anger smoke against the sheep of your pasture? Remember your congregation, which you have purchased of old, which you have redeemed to be the tribe of your inheritance, and this Mount Zion where you have dwelt. Now he's talking about the Temple of Solomon. And the Temple of Solomon was an unbelievably beautiful place. And he says this, Turn your footsteps towards the perpetual ruins. The enemy, the Babylonians, they have damaged everything within the sanctuary. Your adversaries, the Babylonians, have roared in the midst of your meeting place. They have set up their own standards for signs. It seems as if one had lifted up his axe in a forest of trees. 
Think about that. Lifted up his axe in a forest of trees, running around and knocking down everything he can with an axe. And now all of its carved work, and if you read about Solomon's temple, there's carved work, there's gold, it's beautiful, it's unbelievable. Somebody smashed it with hatchets and hammers. They have burned your sanctuary to the ground. They have defiled the dwelling place of your name. They said in their heart, let us completely subdue them. They have burned all the meeting places of God in the land. It's all in ruin. It's all burned and damaged. God's name's been defiled. But the worst part is in verse 9. Listen to this. We do not see our signs. There is no longer any prophet nor is there any among us who knows how long that is going to last. It's dark. It's real dark. It's real bad, but it's a silent darkness. There's no word. There's no word being spoken in their midst. You know, I don't know about you guys. I went. I used to go hunting all the time. I'm, I'm, I used to be like a professional at it almost, you know. And um, I've walked through cornfields. I've walked through creeks. I've always had to have the right boots on in the dark. I've carried a climbing stand. If you, you know what, if you don't know what that means, I'll tell you what that means. But I've carried a climbing stand into to the woods for, for like a mile or more. <laughs> and I've climbed up in trees in the dark. I've done all kinds of stuff in the dark. I've heard pigs to the side of me. I've heard foxes scream. If you had a fox scream at you, you'll never forget it. And so I've done all this in the dark. But I always had a lamp on my head, my head right here. And I was, I have trembled with the lamp on, but I don't know what I would have been like without a little bit of light. These people had no light. They didn't even have that little lamp on their hat. In 1 Samuel, the point is made many times. Listen, in 1 Samuel 14, verse 37, Saul inquired of the Lord, but God did not answer him. And then in 1 Samuel 28, 6, Saul inquired of the Lord, but the Lord did not answer him by dreams or Urim and or prophets. Saul's looking for a word from God, and finally, because God won't answer him, you know what he does? He goes to a medium at the end of his life and seeks a word from a medium. Now, why does he do that? Well, because God's rejected him. Why did God reject him? Because he's rejected the word of God. He wasn't obeying God's word. He wouldn't submit to God's word that came through the prophet, and so God rejected him and tore the kingdom away from him. And then instead of repenting and coming back to God and asking God for a word, because that's how it works, right? What do we do first? We ask to ask God for forgiveness. We repent of our sins, and then we ask God for a word, but he wouldn't do it. Kingdom's torn out of his hand. He goes to a medium. King Saul knew the absence of God's presence, God would not speak to him. Now, there's no doubt when the Lord is not giving his precious word to his people that they're under his wrath and under his curse. And he's letting them wander around in misery. It appears that he's abandoned his people. It appears that he's finished with his people. But in the midst of all this darkness, even though the word of God was rare, he's raising up Samuel. Little Samuel is going to be God's word to his people. First Samuel three nineteen through 4, we read this a minute ago. Thus Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fail. All Israel from Dan even to Beersheba knew that Samuel was confirmed as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again to Shiloh at Shiloh, because the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. Thus the word of the Lord came to Samuel 
and it came then to all of Israel. So Samuel is God's gift to God's people. And God's word is going to come through Samuel continuously. Not in chapter 6 of Judges and then in 1 Samuel chapter 2, if you can get my drift, you know, the long time, it's going to come continually. He's going to be a resident prophet. He's going to live among the people. He's going to talk to God. He's going to talk for God to these people. He will guide them and lead them and he will be the one who lights up their path. It's going to be a new age. Just as Abraham was the father of of all believers and Moses is the mediator of the old covenant, Samuel will be a great transitional figure and this is what he's going to do. He's going to be the kingmaker. He's going to be the king anointer. He's going to anoint King Saul. He's going to anoint King David. Well, before we go, let's think about some applications. Is the word of God precious to you? The word of God is the only means to know Jesus Christ and God the Father. The only means. It alone declares Jesus Christ to us. The word of God come in human flesh. This is the book that we need. We do not need, as wonderful as prophets were, we're thankful for what they wrote, but we don't need prophets anymore. We have God's word in the Old and in the New Testament. This is what we need. And in these pages, we have God's word. And when these words are flowing to us, flowing around in our minds. I, I, this, I tell you guys, the women and the men who are doing these Bible studies, and if you're not able to come, that's, that's okay. But, I'm not, but when you think together as a group like we did yesterday or like the women are on Saturday, this is a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing to be thinking God's word together. And I'm listening to these guys talk, and they're listening to me talk, and I shut up and listen to them talk a little bit more, and, and these things are helping us. We're, we're paging through the Scriptures. That's a wonderful thing to be reading and studying God's Word, going through these things. The Word of God is valuable. It's so valuable. So we need to own it. We need to read it. We need to understand it, and we need to be taught not to have the Word is darkness. And here at Good Shepherd... It's a wonderful thing to have the Word of God preached in the morning and have the Word of God preached in the evening. It's a wonderful thing for us to talk about it. But our goal is to be a little bit more Word-oriented. The goal is to have a Sunday school class in the future. The goal is to teach some kids some Sunday school class lessons and maybe even have a Sunday school class for adults. When the word of God is flowing freely, it's the gift of God's grace to us. I love the fellowship we had today. We had us in a little impromptu fellowship. We At first, we were going to feed some, some of our folks. And then we found out you guys were coming. And then we found out there's another family coming. And then we finally just said, you know, we just buy food for everybody. It's great to have these things. It's great to plan. It's great to have... Uh, fellowships next Sunday after we have the Lord's Supper. It's great to do all of these things. But if fellowships and parties and unofficial church gatherings and planning meetings are all we have, we may be great with fellowship but poor in grace. When we are discussing and we are studying and when the Word of God is flowing in our minds, that's God's grace to us. It's the Word of God precious. Someone could argue that how in the world could we ever have a time where the Word of God is rare? Look at all. I, got, I have a Bible in every, in every room. And I don't know what they are nowadays. Maybe they've taken the Bibles out of every one of these hotel rooms. But there used to be a time when there was a Word of God in every hotel room. 
like I said, Logos Bible Software is trying to sell me a new book every day or 10 more commentaries. There's Bible study helps everywhere. There's Christian movies everywhere. There's all kinds of translations everywhere. And, you know, we can just say that we're inundated. How in the world can the Word of God be rare? But it can be. Let me tell you how. You can starve because there's no food to eat. And what happens is this. Many ministers are not preaching the Word of God. I used to go to a church when I was young, and I remember the preacher opening up the Word of God. He would read a passage of Scripture. He would read the text. He would close the Bible. He would deviate from the text. He would never return to the text. He never, ever got to God. He just talked about some things that were on his mind. We can be starving because the Word is not being taught to us. We can be starving because God is not being presented to us. Uh, John Piper writes, people are starving for the greatness of God, but most of them would not give this diagnosis of their troubled lives. The greatness and the glory of God are relevant. It does not matter if surveys turn up a list of perceived needs that does not include the supreme greatness of the sovereign God of grace. That is the deepest need. Our people are starving for God. They need someone to lift up his voice and magnify the supremacy of God. One of the implications this has for preaching is that preachers who take their cue from the Bible and not from the world will always be wrestling with spiritual realities that many of their hearers do not even know exist or think essential. You see, it's these things that are important that should set the agenda. If God is not supreme in our preaching, where in the world will the people hear about the supremacy of God? If we do not spread a banquet of God's beauty on Sunday, will not our people seek in vain to satisfy their inconsolable longing with the cotton candy pleasures of pastimes and religious hype? We need God. We need the Bible explained. We need to know who Jesus is. We need to know how the Holy Spirit works. We need to hear about Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I can go on and on, but we need to hear the Bible and make sure your preacher preaches it to you. Well, second, you can starve because you have no appetite for the food that is placed in front of you. And I'm not saying you can't hear, right? We all can hear. But the question is, do your ears, the ears of your heart hear? The question is, do your taste buds take in the Word of God? Do you have a taste for the Word of God? We know we can taste, we know we can hear, but are we hearing the Word of God and are we taking in the Word of God with our taste buds of our hearts? Do our hearts love the Word of God? Are impressions being made on our hearts? Are our hearts being... Um, I did this last night. I had to go get Evan. <laughs> I, told my, I told my daughter I backed into her car last night. <laughs> made a little dent. And we went over and we pushed on it, and it popped out. I'm so glad. <laughs> but I just sort of hit her car. But is God's Word making a dent? Is God's Word making an impression? Are we tasting it? Is it changing the way we think? And is it changing the way we talk? Is it changing the way we act? Am I becoming a better student in school, young people? I'm, be I'm fixing to go to college. I'm ready to go to college. You know, am, I, am I becoming a better brother or sister? Am I becoming a more godly mother and dad? Do you find that you can't do without this? 
One, one writer says, is this word tempering your temper? Is it intensifying your love for Christ? If this is true, then you're filled with the, you're filled with the Spirit. If this is true, the Word of Christ is richly dwelling in you. And you know what the ramifications of that are? You speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, and you sing, and you say thanks, and you submit to the brothers. But if you do not have this great need, and you are finding that you are starving for the Word of God, let me tell you what Jesus says to do. Jesus says, ask God the Father for the Holy Spirit. And he says, you know what? If you ask God the Father for the Holy Spirit, he doesn't give you a stone. He doesn't play pranks. He doesn't give you serpents. He gives you the Spirit. And when you get the Spirit, boy, we've been having this great time with this men's study. You know, when you get the Spirit, you belong. We, this is just rehearsing what we study, right? You belong to him. When you get the Spirit, you belong to God the Father. When you get the Holy Spirit, you are persuaded that the Word is the Word of God. It's authority comes from God. When you get the Spirit, you love this book, and this book leads you to love Jesus Christ. You love Jesus Christ, and you're devoted to His commandments. What a wonderful thing. And then we find ourselves fellowshipping around the Word and walking in His light. Well, let's praise God for the Word, and let's pray right now. Father, thank You for loving us. Thank You for teaching us that the Word of God is unbelievably valuable. And we, we know it's old, and we know that we have many of them around, and sometimes it would be easy to maybe just slide it and not, not look at it. But I pray, Father, that we might understand this is the most valuable piece of uh, paper that I hold in my hand. All these pages, all these words come from you, and they teach us about a wonderful God and a wonderful Savior, and they teach us about a Holy Spirit that leads us into all truth. And so, Father, help us to hold fast this word and not be negligent, but be totally diligent to be in it. Help us to talk about it with each other. And we pray that we might be iron sharpening iron every single time we meet each other. Help us now to walk away from here, ready to think your thoughts after you. We'll praise you for it. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.